George Soros-funded organizations buying up conservative radio stations to silence them. Amazon and Google threatening to block Twitter if Musk opens the platform to counter opinions. Seeing a pattern yet? Well, they can try. But the truth will always find a way. And this is TNN, the Truth News Network. With your guide, Dan Newman. Honestly, I think we have a whole lot on our plate more this Monday than we did last Monday or the week before the week before that. But I want to thank you for joining us here at TNN Live again. You are the most faithful audience, and I thank you for doing that. I thank you for your sacrifice. I got to be honest with you. Two hours, 9 to 11 a.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday, there are a lot of you that make that part of your day. And that's a big sacrifice. Even if you don't get the whole two hours in one sitting, at least you're here. And I want to say thank you. What happened in your weekend? Can you tell me about it? Can you think about it for a few moments? Honestly, I think all of us, after last week, after last Tuesday, after everything that happened, and we're still not through with last Tuesday's events, we've got to get our Senate in place. We've got to get our House of Representatives in place. If you look at it from the 10,000-foot level, I'm talking about the election. If you look at it there, Democrats have got to say, wow, we pulled off a big one because they were expecting us shellacking, which didn't materialize. Republicans expected a big one, and they got, looks like they've got a majority in the House of Representatives but it looks like any hope they had for the Senate, it blew away over the weekend as two seats were confirmed for the Democrats. Kelly in Arizona and the incumbent in Nevada. And so what's left? We have a runoff on December 6th in Georgia between the incumbent and Herschel Walker. So right now, folks, Democrats have 50 seats in the Senate, and if they get this seat from uh, Walker, Herschel Walker, and they keep it, they're going to have a 51-seat majority. But even if it's just 50-50 like it was before this election and still is today, they've got the majority with the vote of the vice president, who is president of the Senate, the vice president holds that vote and will, on every issue, come down on the side of Democrats. So it's critical that those seats that are out there still to be determined in the House of Representatives, it's it's absolutely mandatory. If the uh, Republicans want to have any real voice in Congress this year, they got to keep the majority. And it looks like they'll get it, but right now it's going to be a slim majority unless they get a few breaks. And that speaking of breaks, will be the only way they'll be able to stop more of Joe Biden's egregious, top-down, in many cases authoritarian and totalitarian, executive orders and legislation. Think about it. In his first two years, much of the stuff that he got done was without Congress. It was through executive order. And a lot of that has been tested in the courts and is being tested now. 
let me let me just give you a layout of the show today. We're going to get into some 2022 midterm election stuff. But you know what? Life goes on, even when elections go on. And elections aren't the only things that we need to talk about today. And we're going to start here with something that is a little uncomfortable for many. But it is mandatory that we address this. And we addressed it on Friday with the story about COVID-19 and what appears to be a kind of revelation that what the COVID scientists told us was science was not and is not. And it wasn't then. They knew it wasn't. COVID dictators are now pleading for their own amnesty. And we published part two of that story on Friday. Part two went up live today. And I'm not going to steal the thunder of the story because you need to see it for yourself at www.truthnewsnet.org. And I challenge you to go there. But what I want to start the show with today is a look at some of the dilemma that those of us that are unvaccinated, and I'm one of them, and I'm proud that I'm one of them, I chose not to be vaccinated because I knew a little bit about science, but I have personal relationships with a bunch of people in the healthcare industry. I've owned a medical reimbursement management company for 32 years, and we have clients all over the nation, hospitals, uh, medical practices of all different kinds, including infectious disease clinics. And I took a survey amongst many of our clients and the healthcare professionals in those companies that uh, I know well, and I took their advice, thankfully, and I sincerely mean this, thankfully I chose not to be vaccinated. So what do we do? I mean, think about it. We were a excoriated segment of the American society. With the recent, the most recent calls for pandemic amnesty from all those groups, many of who, they went all in for COVID vaccines. They destroyed lives and businesses. They even closed schools. They stripped away our freedoms and turned family, friends, and neighbors against each other. I don't know how those of you that are unvaccinated today, how you handle it or what exactly happened to you. But we're in a dilemma. The unvaccinated and truth tellers find themselves in a pickle. Morality and civility could argue that we should forgive those who vilified us for choosing medical sovereignty, noncompliance with unconstitutional mandates, and just questioning the scientific, and I use the word scientific in quotation marks, the questioning of the scientific narrative. But it's not that simple. Some pro-vaxxers may have been legitimately uninformed or scared to blindly follow somebody's health guidelines and government mandates with no question. But that mob mentality And it is, it was and it is, and it's even stronger today. That mentality to demonize the unvaxxed and gaslight society into thinking that we were the problem has crossed a potentially unforgivable line. Making the rounds online, did you see the LA Times article from earlier this year? 
It was titled, Mocking Anti-Vaxxers COVID Deaths is Ghoulish Yet, But May Be Necessary. And the article URL itself is even titled, Why Shouldn't We Dance on the Graves of Anti-Vaxxers? And here's what the reporter said, at least part of it. Those who have deliberately flouted sober medical advice by refusing a vaccine known to reduce the risk of serious disease from the virus, including risk to others, and end up in the hospital or the grave, can be viewed as receiving their just desserts. That's even more true of those who not only refuse the vaccine for themselves, but publicly advocated that others do so. It has become common online and in social media for vaccine refusers and anti-vaccine advocates to become the target of ridicule after they come down with COVID-19, and especially if they die from it. He even, in this article, he promoted the disgusting and hateful website, www.sorryantivaxer.com, that posts details and photos of dead anti-vaxxer activists who helped spread the COVID-19 misinformation on social media. Those are his words in the article. And encourages visitors to stop others from making the same mistake. Get vaccinated. He also praises another fellow reporter for delighting in the fact that, quote, mocking anti-vaxxers when they get sick has become a bit of a sport. There are, I don't know how many, there are endless examples of hatred and contemptible act towards the unvaccinated over the past couple of years. But to relish in their death? Come on now. That's abhorrent. It's it's inhuman. The data and information are now clear that the vaccines did not work as promised and the propaganda machine was lying. Even the CDC admits there is no difference in guidance for vaccinated and unvaccinated. Now think about that. That's the CDC. Do you remember any of the story headlines? Story headlines that happened. There's a bunch of them out there. And uh, Liz Peek, she's going to come in. October of 2021, why vaccinated people? Not yet, Liz. Liz (laughs) Peek put together some of the CNN headlines through the COVID-19, especially the early COVID-19 and the vax stuff. I brought her in, want you to listen to this. She gives us a bunch of the CNN headlines day by date, date by day, back from 2021. October of 2021, why vaccinated people dying from COVID-19 does not mean the vaccines are ineffective. Did you guys see that meme? I think it was created by uh, the account Being a Libertarian that showed the evolution of CNN headlines from the uh, advent of the COVID vax until now. This It went pretty viral, at least on Instagram last week. And the trajectory of the CNN headlines were as follows. These are all direct quotes. In February of 2021, single Pfizer vaccine shot provides strong protection for those who've had COVID-19, UK studies suggest. 
May 2021. People vaccinated against COVID-19 can go without masks indoors and outdoors, CDC says. July 2021. CDC updates guidance, recommends vaccinated people wear masks indoors in certain areas. September of 2021. Vaccine protection against COVID-19 wanes over time, especially for older people, CDC says. October of 2021. J&J vaccine recipients should get their second dose as soon as it's available, experts say. September 2021. Three doses of COVID-19 vaccine are likely needed for full protection, Fauci says. October 2021, immunocompromised people may need a fourth COVID shot, CDC says. October of 2021, why vaccinated people dying from COVID-19 does not mean the vaccines are ineffective. Seven months it took for that evolution to happen. And yet we are told that the sentence, the vaccine is effective, is science. And that if we question the COVID vaccine, or choose not to get the COVID vaccine, or if we oppose the government mandated, the government mandating the vaccine, that we are anti-science. So let's refute this. Better yet, let's let the experts accidentally refute themselves. Did you guys see the video from the FDA that went uh, viral this past week where they admit that they don't actually know whether the COVID-19 vaccine is safe for children between the ages of five to 11? This is a pretty significant thing. We are told not to question the science by the experts who admit verbally, with a camera on in the room, they admit verbally that they don't actually know what they're talking about. When they voted on whether to approve this for little tiny children, they were caught admitting they don't know whether it's safe. Yet they voted yes anyway. Go ahead. Give it to your children. It's science, they say. If this is science then science is fake. If this is science, science is fake. I don't think real science is fake. I really don't. Science is science. And we must understand this. Science, in many cases, in part at least in every case, is someone's opinion. And those opinions of scientists are based on factual information that they find and they confirm their findings before they go public with them. Obviously, that is not the case with COVID-19 vaccinations. So if you chose to not get vaccinated, what are you supposed to do? Well, let me just give you a little bit of advice so you don't go nuts in the, the rest of your life because there are people out there that made fun of you, fired many of you, excoriated you. Many people hated you because you chose to be unvaccinated. What do you do? Don't be spiteful. Don't forget. And don't stop asking questions. So what questions, Dan? What are we going to ask? Well, one of the first ones We need to ask this one and a concession to be made from the pandemic amnesty camp. The first question needs to be around whether or not the young and healthy people suddenly dying today have been vaccinated. And this shouldn't be taboo. And it shouldn't be, or it should be, for the greater scientific community to debate and alert from. We've got to learn exactly what and why everything went on the way it did. We know now 
that all-cause mortality rates are up. Health agencies are now normalizing SADS. Have you heard that term used yet? SADS, S-A-D-S. It stands for Sudden Adult Death Syndrome. They made up a new word. Myocarditis, while blaming deaths of healthy young adults on the side effects of COVID. To call a truce and work together for answers, the COVID-19 vaccine must be a factor. It's not gruesome, folks, to ask if someone was vaccinated when they died suddenly for unknown causes. The answer will get us all closer to the truth. Potentially, it'll save some lives and know where the line is when the next fear-driven propaganda event tries to divide and destroy us. So, to the hateful mob waving a white flag, please remember this. We won't celebrate your deaths We won't wish harm on you, but we're not going to forget that you did those things to all of us. I'm unvaccinated. My wife is unvaccinated. We're glad that we're unvaccinated. And yes, we both got COVID. She got COVID-19 twice. But when I look at what's happening out in California right now, Do you know what's happening out in California right now? Hospitals are flooded. People are being brought in in bad shape with upper respiratory disease and distress. And so what's going on? It's called the flu. It's called the flu. Do you know that in 2021, there were hardly any flu cases across the nation. If you look at the numbers, and you can get them from the CDC, from the CDC website, every year they report the numbers of disease infections. Go look at them. There were less than 100 deaths in 2022 attributed, formally attributed, to the flu. How many do we normally have? Thousands every year. What happened? COVID killed the flu. No, 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 no. Flu cases were documented and labeled or labeled COVID-19. Wow. We'll be back right after this. This is amazing. This is incredible. There's a lot more to come. Sit tight. In a world gone mad, telling the truth is a bold move. Your anchor in this sea of chaos is TNN, the Truth News Network. Do you mind? I was in a good place, and the world changed. Daily uncertainties became huge struggles. I've missed so much, especially the grandkids. A lot happened to all of us. It's okay to not feel fine. 
Small things each day go a long way. Make time for you. Take, Take care. Me. Create a healthier relationship with your mind. Search Dear Mind for more. Authorized by the Queensland Government, Brisbane. Hi, Tom Bodette, quote, checking in on my smartphone. Everyone's checking in nowadays at airports, restaurants, appointments with certain medical specialists. Seriously, people, TMI. Anyway, thanks to the Motel 6 mobile app, you can book a clean, comfortable room at Motel 6 on your smartphone and get a great rate. Then when you get to Motel 6, you can check in after you check in. Your friends will be totes jealous. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6, and we'll leave the light on for you. What up, y'all? It's DJ Envy, and I'm teaming up with Turtle Wax this summer to make sure your rides are clean, shiny, protected, and even disinfected. Because whether you're hitting the streets or heading out on the highway to the beach, Turtle Wax will make sure your vehicle is looking, smelling, and feeling amazing. Turtle Wax is the only brand that I trust with my fleet of supercars. And y'all know how many cars I keep in my garage, right? Check out TurtleWax.com to learn more and be sure to buy now at TurtleWax.com or anywhere you shop for car care. The Speaker of the House lies. The media swear to it. The President of the Senate obstructs. The media are all over the place, but totally divorced from the truth. So let's get back to navigating this Stygian River with, again, Dan Newman. Honestly, trying to figure out this stuff. I mean, if you look around, folks, you look at the elections, you look at COVID-19, you look at all of the anger and the hatred. Look at the crime. I mean, we've got people being killed over the weekend. It happens every weekend, but it just doesn't seem to happen all the time in the past the way it's happening now. I mean, we have things that are happening that should never happen. I'm talking about in schools, in malls. No argument, just killing people. People breaking into businesses and robbing and the criminality is just ramped up along with all the other stuff. And people are afraid. People are fearful. Even even our election systems. Let's dive right in and come up with where we are. There is no point in beating around the bush, folks. Democrats had a good midterm. They won a Senate seat in Pennsylvania. I can't figure out how how anybody could think that Fetterman would be an okay senator, yet alone they need a good senator. And Dr. Oz was there, and yes, he's known from television, but he's very reputable, he's knowledgeable, but the Pennsylvania citizens didn't want him to represent them. And if the Democrats hold to that seat down in Georgia, they'll end up plus one in the Senate. And if they lose Georgia, they're still going to keep the majority because the vice president is the tiebreaker. She's going to vote every time with the Democrats, so it would be 51 to 50, just as they did in the previous two years. Democrats also gained a net of one governorship, And as far as the House, that's all still in play. And yep, it seems likely the GOP will win control in the 118th Congress, but only by the narrowest of margins, and everybody predicted a red wave. But even with that, and it feels very touchy for Republicans, we can see silver linings for the Republicans, and what we can see here at TNN Live 
point to sunnier skies for the Republican Party in future elections, including the 2024 presidency. In 2020, Joe Biden, if you'll remember, won the popular vote by more than 7 million. He got 81 million ballots compared to Trump's 74 million. Yet this year, this year in the midterms, Republicans beat Democrats in the total vote for the U.S. House. GOP candidates received a little over 52 million votes, and some more votes are still out, while Democrat candidates received just 47 million. That's a gap of 5 million to the plus side for Republicans. In other words, the margin for the Republicans shifted from minus 7 million in 2020 to plus 5 million in 2022. That's a margin shift of 12 million votes. That's something to look at. We should hasten to say it's normal for total turnout to fall from presidential elections to midterms. According to data compiled by the U.S. Election Project, the drop-off in the last five decades presidential to midterm has been about a third, yet the Democrat vote fell by more than a third and from 20 to 2022 by 42% in fact. Compare that to the Republican vote. It fell by just 29%. Yeah, it's a bit mysterious as to how Republican candidates managed to do so poorly relative to their voters' enthusiasm. So even as they feast on the fruits of victory, Democrats might do well to stay a bit humble. But that doesn't happen. It never happens. Why? They're Democrats. And then there's the victory disease. The Japanese know from painful experience, sin shall bu. That's their word for victory disease. Japan was afflicted with this psychological ailment in the months after their sneak attack victory on Pearl Harbor. In the months that followed, Japan's military conquered territory all over Eastern Asia. Yet, Victory brought victory disease, even if they didn't know it. Japanese overconfidence left them heedless of gathering American strength and led to their catastrophic default at Midway back in 1942. So here we are 80 years later. We'll see what happens to Democrats. At the White House on November 9th, the day after the elections, one reporter asked President Biden, What in the next two years do you intend to do differently? Biden smiled as he answered, nothing, because they're just finding out what we're doing. The more they know about what we're doing, the more support there is. That's the president saying that. You and I both know that's poppycock. So there you have it. Biden's approval rating average is way up there. (coughs) Excuse me. 41.5%. I got a frog in my throat. (laughs) Let me take a sip of water. Biden had been above 50 since August of 2021. And yet, as far as he's concerned, everything's going fine. All he needs to do is, he thinks, more of the same. On November 13th, House Speaker Pelosi told ABC News that Biden should run again in 24. As she put it, 
He's been a great president. He has a great record to run on. In fact, while it's almost certain that the Democrats are going to lose their House majority this year, there's at least a chance that Pelosi, who by the way is now 82, will stay on as the Democrat leader. As minority leader, it looks like, but maybe, just maybe, speaker. She was, after all, re-elected to her House seat. She said on November 13th she has no plans to resign, so the question is whether or not she would seek the post of minority leader. She was born in 1940, has been head of the Democrats in the House in the majority and in the minority since 03. Look back at that. We're in 2022. She's been in the lead in the House for Democrats since 2003. She has all the scars as well as all the strengths that come from two decades of high profile in Congress. She clearly relishes her leadership job. And yet for years now, younger House Democrats have been restive about her long tenure. Under pressure from her juniors back in 2018, she agreed to serve only two more terms as Democrat leader. She reaffirmed that agreement in 2020, and yet now that time's up, what's she going to do? Is she going to step down, break her pledge? Nobody knows. And if Pelosi, now 82, stays, what of those other top two Democrat leaders, Steny Hoyer and James Clyburn? They, too, are over 80. 80 80-something. Is that the look House Democrats want to present to the company? Or could Pelosi stay? It's hard to see how she could be defeated in a challenge in the House and push one or both of her fellow octogenarians aside, getting fresh blood everywhere but at the top. And what about Joe Biden? He'll turn 80 in a week. Can you believe that? The thing about the victory disease is it clouds your judgment. You won one, and so you think you'll win them all. So will the Democrats really go into 2024 with this elderly and stand-pat team in the House, in the White House? It could happen. And if it does happen, if Democrats charge ahead as if no warning lights are flashing, then Republicans benefiting from stronger enthusiasm and a younger crew of candidates have a whole lot to look forward to. But I got to be honest with you. I think the Democrats are too smart for that. I really do. They always seem to come up with answers and just enough quirks in the process to get a bill passed, get it on the president's desk to turn into law by signing it when everybody thought on the conservative side that there's no way they could get that done and especially with the leadership of Nancy Pelosi. I got to be honest with you. In 19 years in power, it wouldn't matter who it is. Nancy Pelosi's got it figured out. And when you have something figured out, all you got to do is uh, go after it and get it done. And get it done. Well, NBC News kind of put it succinctly looking back at last Tuesday and even where we are with the votes not counted. And it does favor the Democrats. This morning, Democrats are back in the driver's seat in the U.S. Senate. Now, we celebrate 
And let's continue the work. Thanks, everyone. Weekend victories for incumbents Catherine Cortez Masto in Nevada and Mark Kelly in Arizona, locking up two more years of a Democratic majority, regardless of the results of Georgia's runoff race next month. New York's Chuck Schumer keeping the majority leader job, with eyes on quickly raising the U.S.'s borrowing limit and continuing to confirm Biden-nominated federal judges to lifetime appointments at a record rate. They want us to roll up our sleeves and get things done. Nearly one week from Election Day, control of the House remains up in the air. 19 races have yet to be called, most of those in California. Republicans only need to win seven to flip the chamber. Democrats defying predictions of massive red wave Republican gains. The worse-than-expected results for the GOP leading to a week of soul-searching for the party and a growing debate over the role of former President Trump, widely expected to announce a third run for the White House on Tuesday. I believe he could be a very effective uh, president for our country again. When any party is out of power, as Republicans are now, we don't have a single leader. Those who are most closely aligned with the former president did underperformed. Amid that GOP soul-searching, Trump's former vice president, Mike Pence, will release a memoir on the same day as his announcement, speaking to ABC News about January 6th. 2.24 p.m., the president tweets Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done. It angered me. I mean, the president's words were reckless. It was clear he decided to be part of the problem. Another twist as Republicans debate the path forward. And for his part, Mr. Trump is blaming top Senate Republican Mitch McConnell for the party's losses. And a group of GOP senators are now calling for a delay in the Senate leadership elections scheduled for this week. That's the biggest internal challenge ever for the party's longest serving leader. Hoda. All right, Garrett Hake for us here in Washington. Garrett, thank you. So NBC News kind of has it put in perspective there. And it was succinctly. But doesn't it always seem to you that Democrats have more of their stuff together than do Republicans. And that when the Democrats lose, they lost with everything structured and everybody on the same page moving forward. And look what's happening to the Republican parties. We still don't have all the votes in. We still don't uh, know for a fact that Democrats lost the House and Republicans are winning. And we don't know what for sure the balance of power is going to be in the Senate. We have a runoff election on December the 6th. Look at what's happening to those in the Republican Party. Democrats lost the House. Do you see any big-time disarray? Do you see any big-time infighting in the Democrat Party? No. The difference is you look at the Republicans. You just heard the former vice president blast Donald Trump. And we're going to get into some blasting of Donald Trump stuff in just a little bit. But there are some people in the left-wing media that are saying, we got to do something about Uncle Joe. The time has come to move on from President Joe Biden. That's according to a piece published in Salon, which is a leftist rag, and I'm just being honest about it. In that piece, they argue that Biden served as a drag on Democrats in the midterm election, and the Democrats won in the midterm elections despite Biden 
not because of him. Adding in the story that a 2024 presidential run by Biden would be a complete disaster. Now, this was published on Saturday. It was titled, Biden was a drag on the Democrats in the midterms. He'd be a disaster in 2024. And that was written by a frequent salon contributor, Norman Solomon, who founded the Institute for Public Accuracy, <laughs> which, which is funded by George Soros's Open Society Foundations. Momentary good feelings are understandable, but Biden was the biggest negative for Democrats, and it's time to move on. That's the article's subheading. So the author began, Solomon, began by asserting that no amount of post-election puffery about Joe Biden, I like that word, puffery, can change a key political reality. His approval ratings are far below the public's general positivity toward the Democrat Party. Overall, Democrats who won in the midterms did so in spite of Joe, not because of him. Solomon said he's a drag on the party a boon to Republicans, and if he runs again, he'd be a weak candidate against the GOP nominee in the 24 presidential election. So citing an NBC News Tuesday exit poll that found two-thirds of voters don't want Biden to run for president in 24, Solomon claimed the fact is nothing new. Biden's low public approval ratings have been longstanding, he wrote adding that the gap between Biden approval ratings and those of his party underscores what a big drag he is on Democrat electoral prospects. Solomon slammed him, slammed Biden for offering a willingness to compromise with the right-wing Republican leadership, given that bipartisanship is exactly what we don't need in the face of extremist Republican demagogues who were determined to keep dragging the goalpost and the country further right. I don't see that happening, do you? I don't see us moving further to the right. If anything, based upon some of the Republican leadership, I think they're dragging us further to the left. And I'm not a Republican. I'm a conservative, but I caucus with the Republicans most of the time. In the article from Saturday, Solomon said he called attention to a recent Politico assessment of Biden's impact on the midterms, which, quote, contrasts to the current fad of adulation for Biden in a good part of corporate media. It's hard to argue that Democrats overperformed on Tuesday because of Biden rather than in spite of him, the article says. His approval rating hovering around 41% is dismal has been all year. He'll turn 80 this month. Earlier this year, a majority of Democrats' polls said they'd prefer someone else to be the party's nominee. Solomon called it critical to boost pressure on President Biden in the incoming months to step aside. Consequently, has joined the organizing team of the Don't Run Joe campaign by progressive Democrat group Roots Accent, which urges Democrats not to nominate President Biden for re-election. I mean, think about it. They just, you can't even come up any other way about the results of the midterm elections last week. They came up with a victory. 
And it's mind-boggling to me. We were told, and this is the part that is breaking up the Republican Party about leadership. I mean, look, Rick Scott. Rick Scott, Senator Rick Scott from Florida. And I mean, Florida, they were the only state that just really got it right very smooth. And of course, they voted Republican. But it was very structured and organized. Rick Scott was for the Republicans in the Senate in charge of winning the Senate back. And we were told all through the election run-up in the campaign cycle, Republicans are doing really well. They're doing really well. There's going to be a red wave in the House, and certainly we should win two or three or maybe even four seats in the Senate. Nothing like that happened on either side. There's got to be some changes. Remember that old saying, when you got issues, when you got something going on, you want it changed? Well, nothing changes if nothing changes. In other words, if something's going bad, don't be stupid and try to get something good to come out of it if you don't change it. If you want your results to change, Change the process that gives you the results you don't like. And if you don't change those, don't expect to have anything change. Results will stay the same. And the Republican Party's got to look at that. I'm Papa John, pizza maker. The quality of every ingredient is important to me. Like the sweet, juicy pineapple and pulled ham hock that refreshes a pizza classic. Introducing our new Premium Hawaiian, another Papa John's original. Like all our pizzas, it comes with Papa's quality guarantee. Try something new with a third off your order. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. Grab an ice-cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients, zero sugar, and seven essential vitamins, with no high fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius, essential energy, live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. Howdy, the streamer here. You know, there's a place down yonder where three streams converge into one. It's where I saw the Mandalorian get himself into a space squabble. Watch me some UFC. Those folks from Modern Family had me cackling like a trout getting tickled. Well, that's a Disney bundle for you. It lets you stream Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus for only $13.99 a month. The Disney bundle. It's streaming at its best. Includes Hulu ad-supported plan. Access content from each service separately. Terms apply. Visit thedisneybundle.com for details. The following is an important time-insensitive announcement from Staples. Now, for an unlimited time only, Staples is drastically cutting their everyday prices on hundreds of products your business needs. That's right. The clock is not ticking. Walk, crawl, or lollygag to Staples, and you will not miss this opportunity. These are everyday price cuts. Take a four-pack of AA Duracell batteries, was $4.79, now just $2.99. 
But act now or later because these staples everyday price cuts will be around for a really, really long time. Price cuts like a two-pack of Scotch Magic Tape, previously $4.79, now just $2.99. And Scotch Packaging Tape, now just $2.29 for today, tomorrow, and pretty much every day till the cows come home. But don't hurry. These everyday price cuts are indefinite. To repeat, these prices will last. So stop by your nearest staples whenever it's convenient and take advantage of these normal, continuing, everyday price cuts. Thank you. I like this song. Who draws the crowd and plays so loud, baby? It's the guitar man. I remember this. Who's gonna steal the show? You know, baby, it's the guitar man. David Gates and Brett. He can make you love. He can make you cry. He will bring you down. Normally let our bump music go that long, but that's just a that's a song. I just David Gates and Bread. I have so many good memories. Uh, that song came out my freshman or sophomore year in college, and I was doing nighttime radio, a little town in northeast Louisiana, Ruston. That's the location of Louisiana Tech University, and I had to have spending money. I was on full scholarship, but I worked at a radio station, a little local AM radio station there, and I did eight to midnight, Monday through Friday, and I had a full load in classes, so I didn't have much spare time, but that was back when all of the rock and roll songs, you could understand the words, and people danced and loved. It was just a happy time. We had just, we were just getting through the Vietnam War, which was a horror that nobody could even uh, decipher what it was all about or who was on our side and who wasn't and why we were fighting. But when we got through that, you know, we went through a Woodstock in 1969. That was the summer of love in Woodstock, New York. And a bunch of great music came out of that. And then we get into the early 70s, and this was before the drug stuff went crazy. It was around, but a lot of people decided to fall into music. And there were a lot of great new artists that came out. David Gates and Bread. He worked at a service station, David Gates, that was the brains of that group. He worked at a service station. And he was writing these songs like Baby I'ma Want You and What You Just Heard, Guitar Man, and If... All those neat ballads. He had the greatest voice. I mean, you just heard what he did. And they did it for a few years, and I'll just finish the story by telling you this. He wrote all the songs, and the guys in the group started getting huffy about, well, we want a bigger piece of the concerts and the record uh, royalties and all that kind of stuff. He just basically said after a while he was tired of them griping. I'm just going to shut it down. After a year and a half, two years, David Gates and Breads, they just disappeared, and he went back to Oklahoma City, and guess what he did? He went back to the same service station where he was working when he got the gig, the first gig, and they went on the road recording. I guess you can do that when you're pretty good, and you just go with the flow. Most of us can't do that. Most of us get hung up in the details. And getting caught up in the details, we forget how blessed we are. And just because you're listening this morning, you, wherever you are, I can tell you, just because of that, 
you're blessed. We all are. So somebody I have a lot of respect for, member of Congress, and he's from Arkansas, Senator Tom Cotton. So the infighting in the Republican Party started immediately. Many want to get rid of Rona McDowell, who is the chairman of the Republican National Committee. She's running the show. And then on the Senate side, there's a big war to get rid of Mitch McConnell. And, um, and then there's who's going to represent the party. We've got a presidential election in two years. So on CBS's Face the Nation on Sunday, Senator Tom Cotton, he said that the Republican Party doesn't have one single leader when he was asked if Donald Trump should remain as the head of the, of the party. And I'm going to read you a little bit of the transcript. I want you to hear what Margaret Brennan, who was the host, was asking him and a couple of his answers. She said, and we go now to Arkansas Republican Senator Tom Cotton, who was a regular on the 22 campaign trail boosting Republican candidates. He's out with a new book called Only the Strong. He joins us this morning from McLean, Virginia. And good morning, yada, yada, yada. Cotton said, thank you, Margaret. Brennan, let me go to the story of the moment. Democrats faced historic headwinds. Eight out of ten Americans said they felt it was out of control. Republicans had issues like economy and crime really break in their favor. President Biden has a low approval rating. How did Republicans end up with complete disappointment? And she was asking pretty much what you and I think. Cotton replied, Well, Margaret, I wouldn't say it was a complete disappointment. On the one hand, we had strong Republican leaders running on positive records of accomplishments who won very big victories. If you look at governors like Ron DeSantis in Florida, Brian Kemp in Georgia, Mike DeWine in Ohio, Kim Reynolds in Iowa, Greg Abbott in Texas, we had senators with the same victories like Marco Rubio in Florida, Tim Scott in South Carolina, Ron Johnson in Wisconsin. But on the other hand, obviously, We hoped that we would have won more seats. I think the lessons in our victories can be applied in some places where we came up a little bit short. We need to focus on serious, substantive accomplishments and issues, like crime, like our wide-open border, like addressing runaway inflation. Even in the places where we came up a little bit short, like Lee Zeldin's race for governor in New York, he performed very well compared to Republicans in recent elections, and he probably helped save the House of Representatives by bringing four new Republican congressmen elect across the finish line in New York. I think we have lessons in the places we had victories that we can apply to places where we were disappointed. And so Brennan said, Sure, but you lost the ball game in the Senate. Carl Rove blamed candidate quality and specifically put the blame on Donald Trump. He said, Mr. Trump turned what should have been a referendum on Biden's terrible record into a choice between himself and the current president. As in 2020, lots of voters chose Biden. Should Trump remain the leader of the Republican Party? And this is why I wanted you to hear this. Cotton. Well, Margaret... When the party, any party, is out of power, as Republicans are now, we don't have a single leader. The former president is obviously very popular with many of our voters. And Brennan said quickly, he's the center of gravity. Cotton, 
But we also have important other leaders as well, like some of those victors I just mentioned earlier, like Brian Kemp in Georgia, Ron DeSantis in Florida. Last year, you had Glenn Youngkin, a great victory in a blue Democrat state like Virginia. I hope to remain a leader in the United States as well, in addition to people like some of those I just mentioned who were reelected, like Tim Scott. So when you're in opposition, you don't have a single leader. That won't be the case until we're through the 24 nominating season and we have a new nominee. You're not going to run for president in 24, Brennan said. The former president said he intends to announce he's running on Tuesday, which is not true, by the way. He's got an announcement that he's going to make on Tuesday, but he never said he's going to announce he's going to run for president. Should he be the automatic nominee or should he face a primary? Well, Margaret, since I opted against being a candidate in 24, Cotton said, I don't plan to be a pundit or a strategist. Well, you just throw out a whole bunch of names of guys who might be running for president, Senator. Are you endorsing them? Cotton said, and I know almost all of them personally. I respect their accomplishments, not just their big victories on Tuesday or last year in Glenn Youngkin's case, but also their accomplishments in office. But you know, I know everyone already wants to focus on 2024. I just want to remind everyone that we're still in the middle of the 2022 midterm. We're in overtime in Georgia. And the most important thing we can do is elect Herschel Walker to make sure that we can keep the pressures on Democrats in the Senate not to veer too far to the left as they have over the last two years. That's where I think everyone should remain focused for these next weeks. Brennan, should leadership elections in the Senate be delayed until December, and should Mitch McConnell remain Republican leader in the Senate? And this is what I wanted to get to. Senator Cotton said, Well, I don't see why we would delay the election, since all five or six of our leadership elections are uncontested. You know, the great wrestling champion Ric Flair used to say, To be the man, you gotta beat the man. And so far, no one's had the nerve to step forward and challenge Senator McConnell. So, I support Senator McConnell. I support the other slate of candidates for our leadership elections. I think it's better that we move forward with these elections so we can focus again on the Georgia runoff. Now, let me say this. Tom Cotton is a great spokesman. He speaks well. And he, he speaks not quietly, but not getting angry. You don't hear that in his voice when he speaks. He's a great interviewee. I mean, he does great on shows like that. And obviously, Margaret Brennan was trying to back him into a corner about Donald Trump. You heard early on when you heard former Vice President Pence He was asked about Biden, specifically about his actions on January 6th, and you heard that pregnant pause after the question was asked before Pence said anything. And it was pregnant because Pence didn't know what to say. And so his final word in that interview was regarding President Trump's actions. Pence called it disappointing. Well, folks, there's still 
a lot going on regarding the midterm elections. And let me just say this. Until 2020, we never had this happen. There were some delays in getting some votes in. We always had the military votes coming from overseas that had to had to be uh, brought in. Some of those were late. Very seldom did those make a difference in the outcome of the election. So pretty much even before those came in, everybody knew what was going to happen. But what has happened to our elections so that we have states like we do in Nevada, Arizona, where else are they slow coming in? Still in Georgia. What's that all about? Michigan, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, not so bad this election cycle. Michigan, not so bad. But what causes that? And what is the outcome of that is not just the voting and the elections and who won and who lost. What's happening is Americans are losing trust in the validity of the results that were given. I mean, it started with that election night in 2020, remember? In every one of the swing states, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada, and Georgia, we couldn't get the results counted like we always have before. And there were problems and issues, little ones in some of the cases, and I get that. That happens. But then all of a sudden, almost at the exact same time, 10 o'clock election night, those states' election offices all announced, we're shutting down the counting system. We've got issues. We're going to come back in the morning and finish it up. And then as Joe said, Joe Biden said in Ukraine when he was talking about getting the former president of Ukraine to fire a prosecutor that was investigating his son, uh, Hunter, Hunter and his Burisma Holdings, a company, a big company, a very successful company, a natural gas company, which Hunter had no experience with. He was being investigated by this prosecutor, and Joe Biden was holding, he was blackmailing the former president of Ukraine to fire the prosecutor to protect his son, and if the prosecutor didn't didn't do that, a million-dollar loan guarantee, excuse me, a $100 million loan guarantee for Ukraine wasn't going to be honored. And when he put that out there and gave him nine hours to fire that prosecutor, Joe said, son of a bee, he fired him. Same thing happens in these cases. There's just something not right going on. And nobody can be honest in saying that everything's cool. It's not, folks. Everything is not cool. And so, Stuart Varney. Now, I have a lot of respect for Stuart Varney. I do. But every once in a while, and everybody can have their own opinion. And in this case, obviously, Stuart Varney does about who's the head or who's going to be the head of the Republican Party and who's going to be the candidate that ends up being the one that faces the Democrat Party nominee in just two years. You understand that the election cycle that started for the midterms, it's not going to stop. It's going to continue right on up 
to the 2024 presidential election. We're going to hear about it every day. Every day. But I thought it would be uh, interesting when I heard Stuart Varney weigh on this, Trump or somebody else. Let's get back to former President Trump. Another attack on Florida's Governor DeSantis. Congressman Brian Mast, he is a Republican from the state of Florida. Congressman Brian Mast joins me now. I've got to get to this, uh, Congressman. I'm very sorry about it, but are you with Trump or DeSantis? This is coming to a head, and we've got to make a decision here about the Republican Party. Whose side are you on? Well, I don't think you can ask it just like that, but I will give you an affirmative answer. Let's look at this. For the last two years, myself included, Every Republican has been out there saying if President Trump was president, still, the border would be secure. It wouldn't be what it is. We'd have American energy policies not canceling the XL pipeline. Inflation wouldn't be where it's at. So 100 percent, I would still want to give President Trump that opportunity to be president. That's where I'm at. He's in my backyard. But I'm not going to sit here and pretend as though for the last four years, Governor DeSantis hasn't done an incredible job showing the nation what freedom offers, how people come in for freedom and low taxes and everything that Florida's been providing. So, you know, I'm not trying to ride the fence on this, but they're two incredible options. Do, do, do you I say, absolutely honestly, sir, honestly, Trump. sir, do you think that America wants to return to insult politics? Donald Trump has just insulted I, a very successful governor, Ron DeSantis. I don't, I don't, but this is my opinion. I don't think America wants to go back to that. How about you? No, there's a lot of people that don't like that flavor. There's no question about it. I won't vote for but it. But in the end, these policies are what Americans, I'm not going to say you because I don't want to speak for you, but me and many others have been saying, hey, I wish we had President Trump doing this. I wish we had President Trump doing that. I'm not going to turn around now and say I'm not going to give President Trump the opportunity to do it. Okay, fair enough, Congressman. I want to refer to you. It's Veterans Day, as we know. You're an Army veteran. You served in Afghanistan. You lost both your legs in combat. What does this day mean to you, sir? Uh, It's a recognition of my brothers and sisters in arms, the best that I have ever seen on this planet, uh, the work that they've done under the most austere conditions that anybody could possibly picture, taking sniper fire, mortars coming in, uh, walking across the ground with improvised explosive devices like what took my legs. And these guys still get the job done. Guys and gals still get the job done. That's the example for America on Veterans Day. Congressman Brian Mast, you're an honest man, and we thank you very much for your service. Thank you very much indeed, sir. Before we go to a break, let me just weigh in on what you just heard. Stuart Varney. Now, I don't know Stuart Varney. I um, I hear him. I see him. He's a Brit that's immigrated a long time ago to the U.S. He is a U.S. citizen. And I like him. I like the way he delivers when he does a story. In this particular case, I think it's very unusual. And I didn't like the fact that Stuart Varney made it very clear what his political situation is, where he thinks the the Republican Party ought to go. He is a registered Republican, Stuart Varney. But you heard him say that. I'm not going to vote for him, talking about Donald Trump. Here's the average American. Now, Stuart Varney sits in a studio at the top of Fox News, and he probably makes seven figures in his job. It doesn't matter if it's seven figures or high six figures. He makes a bunch of money compared to most Americans. Most Americans sit out there and they relate who they're going to vote for in every election 
not based upon the national narrative, the perspective of party leaders on either side. They look at their own circumstances. Stuart Varney's didn't change much. Oh yeah, he had to chase to get away from COVID-19 like the rest of us. But he lived in a place where he could be insulated pretty easily, more easily than most Americans. He had a car that would pick him up at his apartment in Manhattan and take him to the Fox News building. He did his show, and when he finished his show, they would take him back. They do that for all their online guests. I don't know if you knew that. The the anchors. Um, and he gets a big paycheck. Now, if you live in that world, you're not out on the streets because you have to get out in the streets. He's insulated, and a lot of others just like him are. But everyday Americans are out there, and here's the difference between the thinking of a Stuart Varney and somebody like me. He lives in some crystal tower, and I'm just using that as an example, not ap- not actual in Manhattan, makes a lot of money, he's well taken care of. I live in a blue-collar city, in a blue-collar state, and I live in a really nice subdivision with a lot of really good people and nice housing around it. But I, in my life, I have to integrate with others, one-on-one, every day. I have to go do shopping. I have to go to the doctor all those kinds of things. I don't have any shortcuts that I can take. And so when I live my life through the 2016 to the 2020 uh, America, I got to be honest with you. I related all my feelings and my decisions based upon my circumstances, which obviously are vastly different from Stuart Varney's. Yours, many of you probably are too. So I didn't like the way Donald Trump messaged. I didn't like the way he talked down to some people. I didn't like the way he talked bad about some people. In fact, I despised it. But I held my nose and voted for him for one reason. You know why? I felt like he would not only be able to do what he said he was going to do if elected, but that he would do it. And I remember watching the campaigns, two of them, of Barack Obama and Joe Biden, and I listened to the promises that were made. And at that time, I made a long list that documented those things. And in the second, in the second, uh, election regarding Barack Obama, the re-election of Barack and Joe, I pulled out that list of things, the promises that were made by Barack Obama and Joe Biden before the first election. And only one big one was ever done, and that was Obamacare. They got it done. And so I sat and thought, you know what? I'm not going to vote again for somebody. I didn't vote for him the first time, but I'm not going to vote again for somebody that runs for re-election just because they're a member of a certain party or they speak well. I'm interested in substance, and I voted for substance. And here's what I have to say about somebody like, uh, oh, former Vice President 
Pence. I don't live in his world. He doesn't live in mine. But I am going to vote for whoever I feel can get the best job done for me as president in 2024. And as a Republican, as a conservative out there that's looking at that, and again, I'm looking at the Republicans. I'm not a Republican, but obviously I'm going to vote for the best Republican out there. And at this point, I think Ron DeSantis is a really good guy. I don't know him personally, but he's very effective at governing, at least at the state level. He's got a whole lot done. And I think on the national level, at some point, he will be able to do a good job. I don't think at this particular point in the presidency, Ron DeSantis would be able to get as much done as Donald Trump did. Why is that? I'm talking about economics. That's what I'm referencing first because that drives the boat in everybody's life, mine and yours. Donald Trump lived and still does today at a personal level on a much larger scale than has Ron DeSantis. He was a member of the House of Representatives before he went home and ran for governor and won. And I'm not diminishing him in any way. I wouldn't say he's a great guy if I didn't think he was a great guy. Based upon what I see, him getting done, I think the perfect, the perfect combination for 2024 would be Donald Trump running for president with Ron DeSantis as vice president. Why is that? We get four years of them together, and I'm sure they're going to do great things if they would get elected. We get those four years, and then we get DeSantis for eight more. Think about that. That would be 12 years of combination of two Republicans that have really, really got great things done for not just Republican Americans, but every American. And I think we should go that way. And here's what I think would be prudent. If the two would get together pretty soon and would come to that conclusion and get off the attack mode, get off the diminishing the other Mr. Trump, diminishing DeSantis, and you guys get together and work together and come up with a plan way before the 2024 primaries even begin. Come up with a plan and show the American people, if you would elect us in 2024, here's what we're going to do. And both of them could say, we know we can do it. Why? Because look what we've done to make it get ready to be done. I've never seen that happen in an election, a presidential election. Wouldn't it be a novel idea if we got a, a double-barrel team that would sell us a conservative program that would last not four years, but 12 years and those two would make the promises, give us the structure if we elect them, and then do the job. That's the difference. It's hard to get a presidential campaign done and do the stuff. Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. Welcome to McDonald's. Can I take your order? Yeah, I'll have a... 
pre-meeting pump-up, a Monday fixer, and a screaming boss recovery. So that's one peppermint mocha, one McCafe frappe, and one fruit smoothie? Yep. Name your drink. McDonald's has it. We're your destination for those special flavors that help you get through your day. Get any small McCafe smoothie, frappe, shake, or espresso drink for only $2. Even the delicious new peppermint mocha. For a limited time, price and participation may vary. I pass through the trees. I leave behind the mountains. I weave in the air. I fly over the birds. And I wish when I complete my journey, I leave behind a better world. Honda Civic Hybrid, India's first hybrid car with IV Tech engine. Leave behind a better world. Does it matter to you that all our chefs are well trained? Or that our kitchens are both SLSI and GMP certified? That we freshly bake goodies throughout the day? Well, it matters to us to know that your family will enjoy every bite. At Kiehl's, we're fresh because of what we do. But more than that, we're fresh because of you. When a governor can tell a president, no rally in my state, it's time for some definitive truth. Here with the goods, again, Dan Newman. Now keep in mind, I'm not predicting anything. Trump and DeSantis. I'm just saying I, at this point in my life, I think that that would be a great duo to run for office in 2024. My opinion. And of course, my opinion is just the opinion of one of 300 million Americans. And so uh, I don't think I'm smarter than anyone else. It's just a sense that I get from watching the landscape of politics. And DeSantis has got an amazing amount of things done in his state. And to be honest with you, I think that if any other governor had taken the stand as DeSantis did uh, uh, against all of the authoritarian top-down government rulings that were made, if any other governor had done the same thing, we'd probably feel the same way about DeSantis. And what DeSantis did was very Trumpian. And I know if he was listening, he wouldn't be too crazy about me comparing that to a Donald Trump action, but it really was. There are a couple of rebels in government that have gotten a lot of good things done. Marjorie Taylor Greene over in Georgia, she is a rebel Boy, Nancy Pelosi and Democrats, they despise her, and they've actually censored her in the past. But another one that steps out there is from Colorado, Lauren Boebert. And she's in a close race that hasn't been called yet, but it's looking pretty good for her. And plenty of that focus is on District 3 here in Colorado. We are still waiting on official results between the Republican incumbent Lauren Boebert and Democrat challenger Adam Frisch. Right now, Boebert leading by about 1,100 votes. Rick Salinger is following the latest results. And Rick, we are still waiting on some outstanding ballots. Well, yes, we are, Kelly, but the number of uncounted ballots is dwindling, and Adam Frisch is finding little room to catch up with Lauren Boebert. 
I don't believe that we will lose the Colorado 3rd District. I look forward to being the Congresswoman once again in a second term and, uh, and fighting for everything that we work so hard. That was Selection Day in Grand Junction, where after the polls had closed, Lauren Boebert was trailing her Democratic opponent, Adam Frisch. If we end up losing uh, at the end, I will offer a, a concession speech uh, and, and, and congratulate Representative Bobart for the work that she's done. Now Bobert is in the lead with a gap that may be difficult for Frisch to make up. If there is less than one half of one percent difference, there is an automatic recount. Matt Crane heads up the Association of County Clerks in Colorado and says don't expect a big change. When a recount happens, the experience here in Colorado is that it reflects that the original count was accurate. Still outstanding are military voters and Coloradans overseas, but many of their ballots may have already been counted. Colorado has an electronic portal that, that, that's run through the Secretary of State's office that allows people to go in and, and vote electronically and send their ballots back that way. But many ballots still need to be cured. In other words, examined to determine if the signatures are valid. This race isn't being called yet, and as they say, it ain't over till it's over. Live in Denver, Rick Salinger covering Colorado first. And once again, I'll tell you, this waiting and counting and counting and counting. I heard it when somebody was griping about it on television. I don't even know who it was. I don't know if it was a Republican or a Democrat or just a news person. And somebody was griping, as I'm doing, about how long it takes to get the votes uh, counted. And somebody else said, well, they can't call the election until they figure out how many ballots they need to win. <laughs> and intimating that they go find ballots that weren't originally used to vote. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that's the case, but sometimes it just seems like that's going on. Man, I pray that we're not there. That would make us the equivalent of a third world banana republic. And I don't want to live in that kind of scenario, and I'm sure you don't either. Well, over the weekend, there was some scary stuff that happened around the nation. Shots rang out outside a Jones High School football game Saturday night in Orlando. And that left one dead and two wounded. And it began with an argument that became heated as people were leaving the game and two groups of people got into a fight in the parking lot. Shots were fired. One adult killed, another wounded. A third showed up later at the hospital with wounds from the incident as well. Players, parents, and others ran to the far side of the stadium after they heard the gunshots. Meanwhile, cops ran into the parking lot to find the source of the shots, which is when they discovered the deceased adult. Four minors were detained following the shooting. Cops found a gun on one of them. And we still don't have all the details. But it's just more violence. And that wasn't the only place. An active manhunt today is unfolding on and around the University of Virginia grounds for Christopher Darnell Jones Jr. That's a University of Virginia student and former college football player. He's named as the suspect in the shooting on the Charlottesville campus happened last night. And it left three people dead, another two injured. Jones, who's now considered armed and dangerous, 
was a former UVA football player. According to the school's athletic department website, he was on the team in 2018, but he never played in a game. Police described Jones as a black male, last seen wearing a burgundy jacket or hoodie, blue jeans and red shoes, and he might be driving a black SUV with Virginia plates. Few details are known about the suspected gunman. In a message to the UVA community Monday morning, UVA President Jim Ryan confirmed Jones as a student. As of writing this, I'm heartbroken to report the shooting has resulted in three fatalities, the president said. Two additional victims were injured or receiving medical care. Our university police department has joined forces with other law enforcement agencies to apprehend the suspect and will keep our community apprised for developments as the situation evolves. Classes were canceled for today as students and faculty were instructed to remain sheltered in place. Joan played football all throughout high school. He attended Varina High School for three years before transferring to Petersburg High School, where as a senior, he played a linebacker and at running back. Pretty good kid. You don't normally see this kind of stuff happening in these shooting incidents. But I got to be honest with you. Um, Things aren't like we've always looked at them here in the United States. We've always had, you know, every now and then a rare shooting, some crazy person. But of the last what, six, seven, eight years? I mean, it just seems hatred and vitriol is just up at epic proportions. And look at what happens every weekend in Chicago. And we don't talk much about what happens in places like San Francisco and Seattle and Los Angeles and New York City and even places like Atlanta. But every weekend, it seems, there's these stupid shootings where people get hurt, injured, and killed. And it's like, Nobody's doing anything about it in the communities. That's a shame that it's that way, but we Americans need to awaken and realize it is a problem and it doesn't get fixed by somebody in government passing another law since we have layers of laws already about guns and killings and all kinds of criminal acts that are being done. And many on the left are out there talking about defund the cops, going soft on criminals, no bail. And look what happened since these DAs, these far-left DAs across the nation have gone into office. They're letting murderers, in some cases, out of prison. They're not punishing people for serious crimes unless they are very specific about the the crimes that they'll let be uh, processed in court, and some of these are not even facing court hearings. They're being let go. They don't even post bail. Yeah, I'm sure they're all going to come back when it's their trial date, right? Well, I'm sure you know our president went overseas this past weekend, and uh, he opened it up by making a stupid mistake in Indonesia. He called the uh, president of Cambodia the president of Colombia on live television. 
Anyway, he is or he just has had a meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping. And the president told reporters today following that meeting that he doesn't think there's any imminent attempt on the part of China to invade Taiwan. He made that remark when he was asked about whether a new Cold War with China could be avoided and the possibility of Beijing invading Taiwan, which it claims sovereignty over. This has been of conversation for months now. Imminent invasion of Taiwan by China. And Biden, you got to remember, he's got deep ties to the Chinese government and the Chinese people because his son has got major, major business dealings that are still going on with many people that either are today or have been previously high up in the Chinese communist government. Now, even though it's just Hunter Biden doing it, there are facts that verify our president is a recipient of some of the profits and other good things that happen in these Chinese investments. So here's what the president said, quote, I absolutely believe there's need not to be a new Cold War. I've met many times with Xi Jinping, and we were candid and clear with one another across the board. And I do not think there's any imminent attempt on the part of China to invade Taiwan. Biden made it clear that our policy on Taiwan has not changed at all. It's the same exact position we've always had, he said. I made it clear that we want to see cross-trade issues peacefully resolved, and so it never has to come to that. So Biden said after leaving the meeting that he was convinced that Xi understood exactly what I was saying and that he understands what he was saying. I think the United States is better prepared than any country in the world, economically and politically, to deal with the changing circumstances around the world, Biden said. I I just can't believe that Joe Biden believes what he said, and I'm certain that Xi Jinping doesn't believe it. Most other world leaders don't believe it either. The United States is significantly less powerful today than it was two years ago. Xi Jinping would have responded in a totally different way as he did in the past with former President Donald Trump. World leaders, just like the world people, they look at our president, they look at our nation. And I've talked to people in Europe about this. People think that the United States of America is weaker than it's been in decades under the guidance of Joe Biden. And if the people think that, what do the government people think about that? What do government leaders in our foreign foes nations other than China? What about Vladimir Putin in Russia? What about those egregious leaders in South America and the Caribbean? What do they think about us? What do people in Europe think about us? Our nation is visibly weaker than it ever has been with Biden at the helm. And so he concentrates, I think he does it in large part, to deflect people looking at and thinking about our foreign politics. 
he thinks about climate change. Climate change. And I think why he does that, like a lot of other leaders do that, I think it's to deflect Americans' attentions to the really, really important things, like our economy, like inflation, like the prices of everything, our criminality. None of this seems to be really important to this president. And if and when he gets involved in these matters, he thinks the fix is to throw money at him. He's now launched a big new venture. It's called Climate Gender Equity, and it's the Climate Gender Equity Fund. It's a multi-million dollar deal, and this fund is at the United Nations. And he announced it at the UN COP27 climate conference in Egypt. And he announced it with a stated aim of boosting women's participation in climate change issues. The fund, we are told, will have an initial seed funding of $6 million with the U.S. Agency for International Development, USAID is that agency for short, and Amazon, each contributing half of the funding. The project, we're told, aims to leverage private sector contributions to ensure women have the capital, network, and technical skills necessary to scale and develop climate solutions. Now, that's from a November 11th fact sheet released by the White House. Here's what it says. The funding is enabled by USAID's commitment to gender-responsive climate action, including its allocating more than $21 million from the Gender Equity and Equality Action Fund, surpassing its $14 million COP26 commitment. Amazon's $3 million contribution is part of the company's $53 million fund that seeks to accelerate women's climate innovation. Amazon will act as the founding partner of the Climate Gender Equity Fund. Now, let me, let me ask you, what, what do you think this is all about? Gender equity. Gender equity. Well, for one thing, equity, it's not equivalent to equality. And equality is nothing like equity. How do you make the difference between the two? How do you define them? What is the difference between the two? Equality, equality, all it does was it ensures the, rec- the, the recognition of the fact that equality is not man-made. It cannot be manipulated. It's like the truth. It is what it is. And you, you can't change what it is by trying to manipulate it. Equity, on the other hand, it's the exact opposite of equality. It is to be manipulated. By whom? Well, it's by whoever gets the nod to be the one or the ones to make those definitions, make those things set. And so this administration and leaders in it and Democrats around the globe not just here, 
but liberals, leftists, progressives, whatever they want to call themselves in Europe, there is an endowed group at the top of everything that are pushing to have global power to top level make all the decisions about all the important issues, not just for Americans, but for every country on the planet. Now, this particular thing, it doesn't go there, but it's a step in that direction. And I'm sad to say Joe Biden has unilateral authority. He can he can have that check written through executive order. He doesn't need Congress. Many things like that have got us stuck where we can't get out. So the Biden administration's focus on climate change, which is all-consuming, it can be geopolitically hazardous. Why? Green policies can shift power into the hands of, oh, I don't know, China. How so? China has monopolized the supply chain of those rare minerals that are required in the production of renewable energy technology. Steve Yates, who's the former Deputy National Security Advisor at the White House, Steve Gates, Yates, with a Y, he said this, I don't think they found a sustainable path toward the goal they see. Certainly, it has shifted a lot of power towards China, and China hasn't proven willing to work with them on this either. Yates said he is a fellow at the China Policy Initiative Chair of America, First Policy Initiative. China's the largest investor in renewable energy in the world. I, I just don't get this why, but they are. Domestically and abroad, by the way. Five of the world's six largest solar module manufacturing companies and the world's largest wind turbine manufacturer are also owned by China. I'll mention this, they're not in China, but they're owned by China. China's Tanji Lithium is one of the largest manufacturers of lithium-ion batteries, an important component of electric vehicle batteries. Our policy on climate change has not reduced China's stakes in the renewable energy market, and its near monopoly over the supply chain of rare earth minerals considered indispensable for renewable energy technology production. The latter has been considered a foreign policy challenge for the U.S. because of its own dependence on China's rare earth supply chain. Now, what are those rare earth minerals? I don't even know their names, but they're mandatory in batteries, electric batteries for cars. And one of the places on the planet where there is more rare earth minerals than any other place in the world. In fact, the deposits there in this country are more than all of the rare earth minerals that have been discovered around the globe put together. What country is that? Afghanistan. Afghanistan. In the mountains between Afghanistan and a couple of other countries. So what happened? We pulled out of Afghanistan. We have no presence in Afghanistan. Joe Biden pulled us out of Afghanistan. And what happened immediately? China moved in. The first thing they did was they set up a military base. 
And where did they do that? On the border of China, which gives them very easy access to all of those rare earth minerals. I got to be honest with you. Xi Jinping and other leaders in China, they seem to be more forward-thinking than are our leaders here in the United States on many, many things, especially things like manufacturing, like medicine, like electronics. We used to be one of the, if not the number one leader in the production of all of these things. In the last few years, it seems like it just all of a sudden, we look and see China in the lead in almost every area. Here's what we need to understand. This didn't just happen in a few years. This was a concerted plan that was implemented from the top all the way down through every sector of the Chinese society. And every Chinese individual was forced to buy in. Obviously, many didn't buy in. But those that did buy in worked diligently and put all these processes together. And in many cases, folks, not just one or two, but in many cases, China has passed the United States in almost every area of technology. And not only that, but their political leadership recognized that they need to put this stuff out in the world and they need to get a foothold in every successful country on the planet's economics, science, and education. And they've been very quietly doing just that. China right now, I don't think they're our um, enemy. Like as in war, we got to go to war. I don't think we're there. But we must take steps to go to war on the economic front. Because if we don't, they're going to take over and control everything. They control almost all of the rare minerals that are mandatory in batteries. That's enough to kneecap us if there's nothing else. But sadly, there's a whole bunch of other stuff. They've almost got us, folks. No doubt you've heard about this subliminal seduction nonsense. You know, commercials that are supposed to have hidden messages in them. Well, Baron Saloon denies any use of this so-called mind control. After all, Barron's is seductive enough as it is. Get in your car and come right now. What with a 16-page dinner menu crammed with delectable items... You're starting to salivate. 30 dinner items under $5... And a happy hour that lasts from 4 till 8 p.m. Obviously, Barron's has that rare combination of good food. Take out your wallet. Good fun. Give us your money. And good prices. Give us your cash. So let's put this subliminal seduction nonsense to rest. Nobody can do your thinking for you. Come to Barron's. You either want to come to Barron's. You do, you do. Or you don't. But boy, oh boy, you do, you do. Barron's. Airport and South Academy. The advanced surgeons at the Center for Innovative GYN Care look beyond quick fixes like birth control to help their patients find the best treatment options for complex GYN conditions. 
My name is Sakina, and I had the CIGC groundbreaking minimally invasive hysterectomy. I got back to my life in a week with only two small incisions and minimal scarring. Discover the CIGC difference with offices in Midtown Manhattan and Montclair, New Jersey. Telemedicine appointments are also available. Book a consultation at InnovativeGYN.com or call 888-SURGERY. In every age, a technology is created that upends the foundations of society. The wheel, the printing press, the internet. Now, in a world sliding into financial chaos, a new technology is changing the way monetary systems work around the world. It is called Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a new form of money, controlled not by banks, governments, or corporations, but through mutual commerce between free individuals. To learn more, visit WeUseCoins.com. By the way, a little election news that uh, obviously this is going to keep coming in, leaking in, and I hate it when it does that. But officials from Arizona's most populous county, that's Maricopa, that is Phoenix, released results from 98,618 ballots late last night that broke 54.6% in favor of Republican Carrie Lake, bringing her closer to Democrat Katie Hobbs. Now, that's, that, that's what Carrie Lake told us, that her party's analysis, her campaign's analysis of where the zip codes were for most of these votes that are left are in areas that are favoring her. ABC 15 data analyst Garrett Archer reported that that batch breakdown to be fifty, almost 55% in favor of Lake only 45% in favor of Democrat Katie Hobbs, and that gives Lake a net gain of 8,911 votes. Those election officials in Maricopa County noted in a press release that nearly all of the ballots in the batch were dropped off on election day, which have been widely expected to break for Republican candidates. I don't know why, but it seems like in the timing of elections, In advance of elections, mail-in ballots and people coming in and voting early, always it's Democrats that do that, and they do it in large part while Republicans wait until Election Day. The only reason I could come up to explain why that would be happening is there's a lot of stuff that happens in the last few days and weeks before elections. And some of the stuff that happens And some of that is leaked information or information coming out. It generally always is a plug for Republicans to use when they cast their votes and do so, either mailing those in, which is what happened in Arizona, or going to vote on Election Day. Lake trailed Hobbs by 26,000 votes statewide with 93% of the total reported as of 9 p.m. last night. Hobbs has 1.211 million. That's 50.5%. Lake has 1.18 million. That's 49.5%. Dave Wasserman, who's the senior editor of the U.S. House of Representatives at the Cook Political Report, 
He said Lake needed a greater percentage of the votes soon after the results came in, and he said that it is extremely tough to see how she wins now. Republican Attorney General candidate Abe Hamada got 55.4% of those ballots dropped and trailed Democrat Chris Mays by just 11,000 votes as of 9 o'clock last night. The results of the Senate and Secretary of State races, which the Associated Press called for Democrats on Friday night, were as follows as of 8.50 p.m. after the ballot drop. U.S. Senate results show Mark Kelly, 1,243,400, that's 51.6%. Blake Masters, the Republican, 1,154,000. That's 46%. Secretary of State results, Adrian Fontes, 1.2 million. Republican Mark Finchin, 1.1 million. Why can't we get this stuff on election night? Now, here's the here's it's not a problem, but it's something that needs to be handled. Elections are run constitutionally by the U.S. Constitution. They are run totally by the states. So why would Arizona, why would Michigan, why would Georgia, why would they keep letting this chaos, this horrible situation, losing the confidence of the Arizona people and the Georgia people, why would they let that continue? Why would they not make necessary changes in their voting system that don't penalize any of their citizens when it comes to being able to vote, but get the votes done on election day or before. And yeah, you're going to have some military and overseas votes that are going to be a little bit lagging coming in. But let's be honest with you. As far as I know, there's never been any of those votes that made a difference in a race. And even though you can't formally certify those results until you get all of those in, you can make a call without having everything in. I mean, this chaos in Arizona continues. 20,457 ballots that came out of Arizona's first congressional district broke in favor of Representative David Schweikert, who's a Republican, netting him an additional 3,400 votes. What does that all mean? Well, in that race, 94% of the voters reported the incumbent held an 894 lead as of 9 p.m. Sunday night, yada, yada. They're still counting votes today, still counting votes today. And in some cases, we're told we won't have the results until next week. The people are just sick of this. Let's go back to the Joe Biden stuff and the climate change stuff. This is a story that when I I heard about it, I just laughed my rear end off. So you probably don't know this, but there's a big climate conference that's going on in the Middle East. It's happening in Egypt. And tens of thousands of elites from around the world have showed up at the Red Sea resort town of Sharm el-Sheikh, and they're there for the UNCOP27 climate conference. 
So how do all these elites get there? I mean, you don't just, you know, run down the road to Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. They take private jets. Now, this is nothing less than massive irony and hypocrisy. This COP27 climate change summit, and it, by the way, is very hypocritical, even so much that Greta Thornburg refused to attend it. It's been beset with accusations of elitism and double standards, and it begins with how these climate change experts get there. 400 private jets have been witnessed landing in the Egyptian city going to the COP27 climate conference. 400 jets. How do we know it? Well, speaking on condition of anonymity, a source close to a local aviation authority said this about those private jets coming into those airports, two airports. More than 400 private jets landed in the past few days in Egypt. There was a meeting ahead of COP27. Officials were expecting those jets and made some arrangements in Sharm el-Sheikh Airport to welcome those planes. So this is rank hypocrisy. And they just keep doing this kind of stuff. And they don't care what anybody thinks about it. And so, yeah, there's no question they want this new top-down government, call it what you want, New World Order or whatever. They want that. And they want everybody on the planet to conform with everything that they tell us about climate, about economics, about politics, about military, everything. That cannot happen in our lifetimes. I got to be honest with you. Can you imagine these world leaders coming to some kind of consensus in that scenario with who's going to be in charge, who's going to make the rules, who's going to make the laws, who's going to decide what goes and what doesn't? Do you think that there is any way that the Muslims that live in the Middle East would ever adopt as their way of life the way that the way of life goes here in the United States, there are an amazing groups of Muslim people that live around the nation. Some of the hardest working people I know are Muslim people. Some of the most honest people I know are Muslims. I've got a close friend that lived here for a bunch of, a bunch of years. He, he may be listening today. He's up in Detroit. That's where he's from. He moved back up there to be with his family. Muslim people are not bad people just because they have a different way of looking at life. But here's my question. That's just one example. What about all the other sects, S-E-C-T-S, and different groups of people around the globe? We, here in the United States of America, we need to stop acting like that's something that is feasible and that's something the way we need to go. About 33,000 people registered to attend this, this conference, which could have been done largely on Zoom. It didn't have to go there, which would reduce the carbon emissions. And obviously, 
they, if they believe what they say and they're preaching to the world, they would have done a Zoom conference rather than 400 private jets fly into Egypt. Meanwhile, the UN summit has also come under criticism for offering attendees gourmet meals consisting of meat, fish, and dairy products. As many in attendance, including the UN itself, have advocated for the regular public to start eating more sustainable food sources, like insect-derived proteins. Oh man, that sounds really, really something I want. German reporters have also claimed the compound hosting the summit has been blasting the air conditioning so cold that people were bundling up with scarves and other winter acclimates. All this has been the conference lose credibility with the public. Leading figures there, Britain's Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and former U.S. Vice President Al Gore They call for increasingly radical responses to the alleged climate crisis, including providing, here we go, climate reparations. Yet according to Climate Action Against Disinformation, which tracks supposed disinformation on social media, the main themes in the public's perception of the meeting were hypocrisy and elitism. I don't even know if John Kerry was there, but you can bet he was. And if he was there, he would be in one of his private jets. And you and I would be paying the bill because he's technically an appointee of our president, Joe Biden. Although he's not in an office where we have any knowledge or have access to any of the knowledge of what his department office spends and how much he's paid. Maybe a Republican House of Representatives can find that out. There's some interesting news coming out. A federal judge has ruled that an attempt by President Biden's administration to force health care providers to not discriminate on the basis of gender identity and sexual orientation is illegal. Can you imagine being a doctor? And you have to look at every patient that walks in your door for any kind of medical help from you. You have to be careful of how you treat them based on gender identity. The Supreme Court in 2020 ruled in Bostock versus Clayton County that sex in the Civil Rights Act of 1964 includes sexual orientation and gender identity, which means that firing employees for being gay or transgender is against the law. Health Secretary Javier Becerra, a Biden appointee, announced in 2021 that the administration was including on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity under On the Basis of Sex, from the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. So a group of doctors, they sued, arguing the Biden administration was misusing the Bostock decision and that healthcare providers should be able to make medical decisions on the basis of gender identity as long as the providers don't engage in sex discrimination. 
The doctors say they have treated transgender patients in the past, and they know how to do it. (laughs) The new decision comes as a result of the doctors asking for summary judgment or a decision without a trial on their claims that the Biden administration is violating the law with the new rules. District Judge Matthew Kosimark, Kosimark, a Trump appointee, said the new ruling that Bostock does not apply to Obamacare. The Supreme Court's majority opinion expressly said that its decision was not a ruling on other laws. Further, the government primarily cited pro, excuse me, pre-Bostock cases in applying Bostock to the Affordable Care Act. In essence, defendants seek to retroactively apply Bostock's interpretation of Title VII to judicial opinions predating Bostock by two decades and related to Title IX by incidental wordplay. The only cases since Bostock do not support exporting the reasoning in Bostock to Section 1557, the judge said. All of this, it boils down to this one thing. Joe Biden, in doing what he did on this case, and pretty much almost every other case he's uh, he's had out there, <laughs> are unconstitutional. If you got a pen, if you got a cell phone, according to Barack Obama and Joe Biden, You can do anything you want. You don't need the U.S. Congress. If you like it, you wake up today, you want it to be something the American people are forced to live by, well, just say you're going to do it. And then you do it. There's so much chaos and so much misinformation, disinformation, hate, anger, fear. We all need a a positive day and a positive song to get out of here. And so we're going to do just that. Kind of a peaceful song. Listen to the words and have a great Monday. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that i